is uh, mind-boggling to consider you know, God of the galaxies and the, the universe. Uh, you know, we just, uh, as a, on earth, just celebrated the expansion of the world wide web. It's now beyond the world. It's the, into the galaxy. The first tweet was sent from an astronaut in, through the internet to other who are on Twitter. He didn't know that. Well, uh, but, you know, the church has gone long before then. You know, communion was served on the moon by Neil Armstrong, who was a Presbyterian elder. When he went, he had, it was decently in an order. He had approval of his session of his Presbyterian church, and he served communion on the moon, you know, 30, 40 years ago. So uh, the, the, the church is even beyond uh, Twitter. Um, in trying to grasp and understand how God, indeed God is the God of the entire creation and galaxy. And that we, as a seminary professor said, you know, but even uh, told me once, even the, you know, our, our understanding of God from creation is analog compared to our understanding of God from his revelation in his written word, which is digital. Those of you that are into those things will get that, that, that metaphor, that parallel. But in creation, we see God's wonders, but we're not given many details and grasp of His love for us and His work of salvation, which we have in the Scriptures, in the, the revelation that He's given to us as it speaks of uh, Jesus, um, who is... Uh, you know, God with us, who speaks to us face to face. And in the power of His Spirit then enlivens us to hear His Word and not only hear it and know it, which fools do that, but to be wise and then empowered to do it. And that's, uh, so it is a, a great privilege of ours to gather around his written word. And what we've been doing um, since Christmas, we've been walking through Luke. We're moving from... Uh, the Christmas manger to the Good Friday cross and walking through Christmas to Easter, just the life of Jesus, just walking through. And again, I, um, you know, if, if you haven't started reading through Luke, you can now. We've had a pretty nice slow pace. You know, we're just through chapter 6, but the pace is going to pick up a little bit this next week, but it would be pretty easy for you to, to jump on now and just catch up those first six chapters and then be reading as the schedule is in your it's in your bulletin and also their schedules out in the atrium so i encourage you to do that so you can read along as we continue to learn our common language or we're refreshed in our common language that we get from jesus as we look at him because he's the reason that we join together he is he is the only reason because he is so great, there are other reasons that we gather, but they pale in comparison. They are as if they don't exist compared to the reason that we gather being our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this, this season's one of refreshing in our language together, that we speak the same language in, in Him, that we indeed are beloved, that in Christ we are beloved, that God loves us and looks upon us with favor. 
That in Christ we not only are beloved, but we are anointed. We are set apart. Given a purpose. And as we enter into the world, wherever we go, as we are in Christ, then we are casting a net of His love and grace and mercy. And so today, we're going to look at uh, the, the word of the day our, that we'll learn is measure. And you'll, you'll see as we go through the passage, and we'll talk a little bit more about what we measure and the things that we measure and why we measure them. You might even begin to think now, what are the things, what are the metrics, these the quantities that we measure as a church. The things that are worth measuring, that we value. And that's why we, we measure them. Well, let's, uh, let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for your written word. As it speaks to us in, in your loving way, how you, you give us clearly what you would want us to know. What you would want us to do who you are. And we ask now that you would set aside those things that can get in the way, that you would open our ears, soften our hearts, and then open our hands. May your Spirit lead us so that we hear and and grasp what you need us to do, that you would help us to focus on ourselves, on on the, the things that you're speaking to us, to do or say, to think or to be. We give ourselves to you. Speak to us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Alright, our passage is Luke chapter 6, starting with verse 27. And this in in Luke, um, this is really a part of one of Jesus, one of the largest sermons that we have from Jesus. In in Matthew, um, it's called we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew, it begins with the, what we call the Beatitudes: those blessed are the poor, um, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, those kind of things. And, and Luke um, sort of does the same thing. But in Luke, the setting is on a plane. So in Luke, it's the Sermon on a plane, not a flying plane, but a flat plane. Just so. You guys, some of you are starting to make plain sounds. Luke chapter 6, starting with verse 27. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. 
If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. He also told them a parable. Can a blind person guide a blind person? Will not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully qualified will be like the teacher. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, Friend, let me take out the speck in your eye when you yourself do not see the log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, every, every once in a while we'll have a passage and you know, I'll say this is the word of the Lord and then you'll say back, thanks be to God. And sometimes we really mean it when we say it. And other times we just say it because we're supposed to. This might be one of those times. You know, it, it's been said or so I've heard that, you know, what you value are the things that you measure. You know, what... What you measure are the very things you pursue. And we see that in all ways, shapes, and forms of life. I mean, in sports, what do you measure? Wins. And you do whatever it takes sometimes to get that win. Just ask Mark McGuire whether it's illegal or not. In Education, in school, right? What do we measure? We measure grades. So we do whatever is necessary. Sometimes it includes lying and cheating. Because what we measure are the grades. And it's amazing technological advances that have allowed us to lie and cheat in new ways. But it depends on what you measure. Because that's what you pursue. In my lifetime, I've seen schools, whole school systems change the things that they measure because this reality that, that you pursue what you measure. And for a time there, schools were measuring graduation rates. And so they did all that they could to get as many students to graduate. The only problem was that students were graduating and they couldn't read. We need to change what we measure. So, Systems then changed what they measure. Let's, let's, let's have tests. You have to pass tests. And 
Any of you students experience this? When you measure according to a test, well, then you start teaching for the test instead of teaching how to think, instead of teaching how to pursue knowledge. I don't have any answers. I'm just telling you. (laughs) What we measure is what we value. What we measure is what we pursue. In business, you see it all the time. I mean, what do we value? What do we measure? We measure the bottom line. What's the profit? What's the the profit to the shareholder? Now, the quality of the product, the pollution we cause, the taxes we evade. And in my lifetime, and some of yours, you know of plenty of cases where businesses calculated how much it was going to cost to have a recall instead of calculating how many lives would be lost or harmed because the gas tank was in the wrong place in the car. But what we measure is what we value and pursue. Same can happen in the church. What do we measure? That's my first question. What do we measure in the, in the, in the church? One of, these, one of these days in the not so near future, but the distant future, we're going to have the capability of you being able to answer that. Text me. And we'll, we put all the answers on the screen. But that's just sort of an aside. That's not going to happen anytime soon. So don't get too excited. But we measure in the church the three B's. And I've shared this with you before. We measure bucks, bottoms, and buildings. We measure how many bucks are in the plate, how many bottoms are in the chair or the pew, and how many buildings on the campus. That's okay, but if that's what we measure, then that's what we pursue. And at times, we can then be more like a business than the church where we focus on treating those that gather as customers instead of fellow partners on a journey with Jesus. We can act like an entertainment industry and so that we can tell them what they want to hear so that they'll come back. If that's what we measure and therefore what we value. Or we can even become a museum protecting our past instead of moving into God's uncertain future. You know, but if we use those categories, the, the, the bottoms, bucks, and buildings, you know what entity, what institution, what, what group, what place had the greatest growth and success in the last 30 years? If we measure bucks, bottoms, and buildings? I mean, this, this institution tripled in size in the last 30 years. And not that, you know, just fast growth, a slow, steady growth. It's decreased, the growth is still growing, decreased a little bit because of the economic times. The, the, the establishment of this institution in every state has occurred, and in every state it is growing. Continuing to build new buildings. Cities, small towns want these buildings even. It, it loses a little bit. It only has a 66% um, return rate. Of, of those that go through this institution come back. But when it comes 
to buildings, bottoms, and bucks. They have great success. Anybody got an idea what it is? Prisons. Prisons, yeah. It's, it's prisons has just steady growth over the last 30 years with those, if you count those things. But what is it then that the church of Jesus Christ is called to measure? I mean, what is it that we value? What is it that we want to pursue? I think that's what Jesus is getting at in this sermon, in this sermon on the plain, and the, 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 the guts of this. What, what He values, what He wants us to pursue, what He wants us to measure. And how does He want us to measure? We got the, the whole idea of, of the word measure from verse 38, middle of what we read. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. It's a measure that's abundant. A measure that is giving, that is overflowing, that is, that is true and pure. I mean, not like cereal boxes, you know. This, things may settle and travel and you open the thing up, it's about halfway full. This one is, you push it down, you make room for all that you can get into it. And then even then it's overflowing. That, that's how God measures that, that abundance, that sense of, of more. Picture of grace and mercy and love. What is, what is Jesus measure? What is He measuring? He's measuring how are we being like Him? How are we being like God? Verse 36. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. He is kind to those that are ungrateful and wicked. Grace-filled, generous, overflowing, pushed down, filling up your lap. And in first century, that wasn't waste. That was where your pocket was. You had your pocket in your clothing right there. So you put it all in your lap so when you stood up, it all would go in your pocket. So we measure our abundance, our overflowing of grace, mercy, and love. But here's the really challenging part. To whom? Who's the object of this God-like mercy and grace? To enemies, to those that hate you, verse 27 and on to those that curse you, to those that abuse you, to those that strike you on the cheek, to those that take away your coat, and to those who beg from you, to sinners and enemies. That's who God gives to, and that's who God calls us to give to. So what do we measure? Our capability of forgiving those who hurt us. That's what we measure in the church. The capability that we have to forgive those that hurt us. Be clear here. Jesus is not saying, ah, just brush it under the rug. You know, it's a misunderstanding. No, these people are guilty. They have done what is wrong. Ungrateful and wicked, uh, Jesus calls them. And he says, yet what we measure is how God treats those who are ungrateful and wicked, and that's with forgiveness. 
our capability of forgiveness is a measure of our spiritual maturity and growth as a people in Christ. Verse 40. A disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully qualified will be like the teacher. Remember Jesus on the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. He's our teacher. Stephen, one of his first followers, a deacon, as he was persecuted, murdered by the crowd around him, said the same thing. Demonstrating the work of the Spirit in him. You got issues of grudges? You got issues where others have caused you pain and you haven't forgiven them yet? You're still living with it? Run to Jesus. Run to your teacher. Bring it to Him because He's the one. He's the master. He is the best at forgiving those that hurt Him. And it's one of the things that we value the most. One of the things that Jesus says, this is what I want you to measure. Your forgiveness to those that hurt you. Now, another example uh, of what he wants us to measure, because it's what we value, is how we give to those in need. How, How we give to those who cannot pay us back. The end of verse 37 is, are the two positive commands. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And then beginning of 38, give and it will be given to you. Give to those that can't pay you back. Give. Again, the measure is pressed down, shaken together, running over. Give abundantly, generously. Expecting, verse 35, nothing in return. That as we grow in giving to those that can't give back, that's a metric to measure for our growth as a church. You know, it is amazing whenever um, I, I preach on something like this, it seems like coincidences happen. And that people who can't pay me back, who may even annoy me, trouble me, show up at my door or in my face or in my car. And sure enough, Friday, about 4.55 in the evening, a gentleman shows up at the front door of the church. Now... Friday evening sort of crucial time for doing this kind of thing and preparing a sermon on giving to those that are poor. And it's amazing how often God then brings those opportunities to say, no, I really appreciate you can talk about that, but I really don't care about that. And this gentleman came to the door saying that his oldest son had died last Saturday. So we 
started talking. And pretty quickly he got to the point that it wasn't so much about his son dying as it was that he needed a bus token or then he needed food or then he needed money or the story started to change. And about 15 minutes into the conversation, the spirit started knocking on my inner door saying, uh, how about bringing me into this conversation? And what he meant by that was not that I needed to say anything to this gentleman, that I needed to say in my mind, God, what would you have me give here? What would you have me do? Because I got to tell you, my initial, when I started to wonder, you know, all right, is this guy legit, trying to figure it out, don't know, it's Friday evening, you got other things coming along, it's like, you know, I can just give him 10 bucks and be done with it. Or I could just tell him no and tell him to leave, I've got a sermon to prepare about giving to the poor. Thankfully, in the midst of that, God just said, no, why don't you talk to me? Just engage with me in the midst of this situation. And what is the most loving, caring thing best you can gauge to do and say? Because that's... You know, just because somebody asks for something doesn't mean it's the most loving thing to give them. I mean, we all know that. Alcoholic asks for a drink. It's not the most loving thing to give them a drink. And shoot, I'd have grown up on Snickers and potato chips if I'd gotten what I wanted to eat every meal. But what I, I realized after the conversation and sat with him, recognized, you know, I don't know, I can't figure it out. Let's just see if we can find some food, give him some food, because if he is telling the truth, so that he and his boys at least have something to eat for the weekend, and then come Monday, other options can unfold to really see what's the best way to love him. But, but what was key for me in that interaction wasn't my interaction actually with him, but with God. And saying, God, you really are. You're doing something in me. Your, your spirit is at work so that I didn't do what I naturally wanted to do, which was give him $10 so I could get back to the sermon. Or just tell him no or not see him. You see, as, as we give to those that can't give back, as we give to those that in that moment are in particular need, what we are demonstrating is the work of the Spirit alive in us. And our joy has nothing to do with their response. Our satisfaction, our sense of, of purpose has nothing to do with whether or not they respond gratefully or ungratefully. It has everything to do with the reality of God alive in you and in me leading us to do that which is not natural but supernatural. Because sinners give to those that give back. Sinners love those that love them. Sinners are kind to those that are grateful and good. It's only the Jesus followers who give to those that can never give back and may never say a grateful word. Because our giving has nothing to do with the response of the other. It has everything to do with the leading of our Lord. As a church, 
We will be engaging in more and more relationships as we seek to be a church without walls, as we participate in the interfaith hospitality network and whiz kids and treehouse and feast of love, sunlight power, mission trips around the community and around the world. Christ community. We will be engaging with all kinds of people. Some will not respond with the polite gratefulness and grace that we would desire. And so it's significant and important for us to continue to be growing in Christ so that we can continue to respond to them like Jesus no matter how they respond to us. We will encounter people who act wickedly and are ungrateful. And God will be leading us to say, I want you to respond to them just like I responded to you when you were wicked and ungrateful. Praise the Lord. We measure what we value and pursue. So we measure how we forgive those who hurt us and how we are generous to those that are ungrateful and wicked. Now, maybe some of you at the beginning, when asked what do we measure, said, well, let's measure righteousness, you know, personal morality, purity, holiness. Aren't we supposed to measure that? I mean, isn't that something? Yes, we are. We are supposed to measure that. We're supposed to measure righteousness, personal purity and holiness. If we are doing things that are good and right, we're supposed to measure that. But we're only supposed to measure that when we're looking in the mirror. That's the last part of what Jesus is saying. We, what we measure is how well we judge ourselves before God. And how little we judge others. You know, it's just a whole lot easier, though, to judge others for me. What what I find is if I can blame somebody else, then in a sense, that alleviates my responsibility even to look at myself. But it, it does sort of amaze me that I think I can know the motives of other people and therefore impugn them when I don't even know my own motives that clearly. God's been dealing with me some on on that when it comes to this bucks, bottoms, and buildings measurement. And as I was preparing this, what what I sensed was a question from him. You know, know, yes, I'm all for the growth of of bucks and and bottoms and buildings. Let it fly. But I'm also all for the growth in, in forgiveness to those that hurt you, in mercy and grace to those that never will return it, and in a self, and into a a self judgment and righteousness and holiness. Those are also the things I want to measure. My question to you, Pastor, is if you had to choose between one set of measurements, which would you choose? If it came down to one or the other, which truly in your heart of hearts is the most significant? That was his question to me. But why don't you deal with your own motives and with what's going on inside of you? Versus focusing on what's going on 
inside of others. Maybe I do know my motives, I just don't like them. So what do we measure? We measure abundantly to others. Grace and mercy, forgiveness. And we measure carefully to ourselves. Being sure to take the timber out of our own eye instead of worrying about the little speck of dust in the eye of another. What does Jesus value and pursue? What does God measure? Forgiveness to those that hurt us. Generosity to those that are impoverished. And righteous judgment on ourselves. But one, one, one last thing, and I'll tell the band, y'all can go ahead and head up. Don't leave from here now and try to get more righteous or more generous or more forgiving. Don't, don't try to, I'm going to be more righteous. I'm going to be more forgiving. But do leave from here committed to spending time with the one who can teach us and lead us and change us to be forgiving to those that hurt us. Who's the one that can can form us so that indeed our measure is always overflowing and abundant to those that can never return the favor. And the one who has an eagle eye on each of our motives and wants us to focus on the timber in our own eyes in a sense of Righteous judgment on ourselves. Those are the things that we value and pursue. So those are what we measure. Amen.